Welcome to The Solution, sponsored by Agent Truth, where we put the consumer first and how this season, season, is it five or six, Adam? Five. Season five, we are going back to the basics, right? So I have a guest that has been through, I think, um, all four or approaching four, like or probably almost in, in four, the fourth stage of Maslow, Abraham Maslow's four stages of learning. So I thought I would bring Elise Fay. So Elise got in the business, oh, maybe. 2003. 2003, about the yeah, same, same time. So time. We're, we're approaching our, you know, maybe 19th or yeah. 20th year, right? So um, the last three years, Elise has done a little more than between, uh, did you get to 30 million this year? I got to 30 million. 30 million, right? So last year, it was in the, the last two years, we're in a 20 million, now you're in 30 million. So clearly uh, a, a leader in the industry, a dominant presence in the West Valley, uh, brought out Glendale. Welcome Elise Faye hey, from the Seabock team. Thank you, everyone. Good to be here. Awesome. So last week we were on with Cami from, from the CVAC team, another a great producer. But today we're going to pick up where we left off because last week we kind of went through the, the first uh, few stages of uh, what we're talking about here is the, the, the four stages of learning from Abraham Maslow. The first stage is unconscious incompetence we covered that pretty successfully and then we started talking about conscious incompetence and then we're today we're going to talk about uh in and out of conscious incompetence into what is conscious competence and then the fourth stage which we'll, we'll end the podcast with today and that is unconscious competence so um let's take elise so elise how long have you been on the crt team uh since uh 2013 awesome good deal all right so because essentially, um, when people are in the unconscious incompetence age, where they don't know, they don't know, and where they, I mean, because essentially, would you say you were there in 2012 before you came? No, I think I was in conscious incompetence. So I was aware that there was something missing from my business, but I was floating along. I was doing fairly well. Okay. So because... Um, yeah, no, you you were a consistent producer doing around three or four million dollars a year. And what what was it inside of you that was like that led you to because you because you to go from I don't know what I don't know. There's something that pushes you. Do, do, can you think back? I know I've never yeah, asked no. you that question, but right. Um, I would look around at the other agents in my farming area in my neighborhood uh -huh. and see the level of success they had and stop and think they're really not better than I am. Like, what am I missing? I knew that there was a missing link. Like our friend Nate Dominguez, or I mean, yeah. who else was the leaders in your oh, area? Oh, back in those days, um, you know, Linda Raywalt we had. And I think of Joe Borland was a name, if yeah, I don't remember maybe, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the ladies. I can't remember. Well, it's funny because so now they're not the leaders. No. And that's the kind of the point of this is because if you don't process yourself through these stages, the reality is, is you're not going to continue to grow your business. Right. And because they were, because what happens in real estate, and now that you've been, you're 18 or 19 year veteran, right? Most eight agents excel during different swings of the market, right? Because right. we had the, the, the leaders of 2005, and four, five, and six, 
And then most of those leaders, absent, I would say, Kenny Kloss, and because luxuries come back, I think locally, you know, a guy like Walt Danley. Mm-hmm. But when we went into the short sale era, was it new people that led? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it was. Right, yes. like the Brian Gubernitz, yep. the Brett Tanners, the Corinne Wynn came yep. out. Right. We're just talking about people that did more than 50 million during the bank era. I mean, we think of we worked with Evan Carr and he was doing 70 million because they maybe maybe I didn't, you know, at the end of the run there. Actually, it it took me too long because it wasn't until I missed that stage because I did not recognize that I was in the middle of this and I needed more losses. Yes, true. So you were kind of in conscious incompetence in the short sale era. Right, exactly. Because right? I, I I didn't Just know what I didn't know, changed. but then, then I eventually I got into it and I realized, holy cow, get my ass kicked. <laughs> but, well, that's the thing is, is when you get to, because uh, I mean, our technical word of being in conscious incompetence is getting your ass kicked. Right. But I mean, going from where you were in 2012, not realizing, was, was there any... We were getting to that and then I cut you off. So. Oh, um, we were getting that as I was just looking at my competition and I wanted to do more business and I knew I was good at what I did, but my my sphere, my contacts was just very limited and I needed a process. Okay. Did you think, okay, I need to go to Brian Buffini? Did I, did you try any? No, other- I'm kind of, honestly, I'm kind of cheap. So I never wanted <laughs> to spend that money because I thought it was just, I just didn't embrace that. So I knew that the next step would be maybe to join a team. I mean, I thought about it for a while and then you guys called. Yeah. Excellent. Good deal. All right. So let's kind of wrap up conscious incompetence. And that is where you began to understand when, because when you joined the team, you recognize that you, there was lots of places that you could expand your business. Yes. Like lots what, of gaps. Like what, what, what was the things that you focused on when you first were like, what were you most surprised about that you weren't doing that you were supposed to be doing in two from 2012 to joining the teams to, to working on some buyer leads. What, what did you, it was like, wow, what was the, aha? Um, it was actually a process to, that I, you developed for working with buyers, even as simple as that, whether it be a, a buyer booklet, a buyer presentation, whatever you do to try to gain the, um, the confidence from, of the buyer. Like you want to build a, that relationship. A systematic approach yes. of buyers versus what were you doing before? You're just winging it. You want to see a house show up there. You didn't really, I didn't really talk much about the market and what the trends were and what was going on. You met somebody at a party. They told you you were interested three or four days later, you'd right. send them an email. Yes. Right. And that was just, and that is what is still just a lot for a lot of people out there, Correct. what they think of working with buyers and why they find a lot of frustration. Is it because they're like, why doesn't the buyer work with me? So once you learn to um, have more of a process, was it like, did you meet people at a certain place each time? Did you show them like, talk no, about I it? Did. Okay. No, I didn't. No, it was no special place. I mean, you would just show up at the house and have a conversation and you probably won them a little more based on uh, just connecting with them on a personal level because the business side of being a buyer's agent, it just didn't exist. So I was never taught that, right? You know, the brokers didn't sit down and, educate you on what the best practices are when you meet a buyer and, and how to keep them in your database and all that. It was, didn't exist. Okay. So then you did, how about, cause it, cause in the conscious incompetent stage, there's a lot, I mean, the key is more appointments, but then also making sure that you're implementing that process. So let's just talk about how hard that was. 
to implement the process. Right. To change, like now you got your change mindset, your mindset, but yes. it, I mean, is that one of the reasons you start out the team is because you're like, I, there, there, there's got to just got to be different ways to do this business than. Yes, absolutely. I mean, different ways, different than what I was doing. And I was failing a little bit, but not enough, but I still wanted to grow. I wanted to double and triple my business. So um, the process was a little hard. I mean, you know, I'm known around the team is always saying no first. And then I go home and think about it. And I would always push back and say, well, is that really a good thing? Or do I really have to do that? I don't want to do more work than I need to. But once I found a little success, even starting to work with buyers and then switching that over to, to listings and sellers. You know. Well, we believe in the CVAC team that it's best to be on both sides of the business because until you work with a lot of buyers, it, you really can't help sellers the, the way that you, 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 you should, you should or you can. Yeah. Right. Yes. Agreed. All right. So you were, you, you implemented a buyer process. So um, tell me about that process. Um, the buyer process is pretty much for me, um, you know, meeting the buyer. I mean, getting them excited to I know, see but the like, house. You but, skipped way ahead of the, um, the, 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 you get a lead. Let's, let's oh, take it from, like, like, you, like, let's, I mean, cause it's more difficult than ever to get people out to a house today because they can do everything online. They don't need well, you as right. a buyer. Back agent. in 2012, wasn't really that. Okay, that all right. Much. So, so it wasn't that hard then for you to when you got a lead, you just had to do what? Tell me from the lead. I, you forward. almost had to just show up back then. I showed up, had the conversation on the phone. You make it sound so easy. I mean, I don't. I didn't see it being uh, much of a struggle. But, and now, really, you're thinking 2012. I think now it's even harder. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is back then it was. I mean, we were, because we were still focused on speed. We were really, really speed, speed to, lead. to lead because that was at the time. So, and it's funny how you don't hear that as much anymore. No. But it's all because it's like you're an idiot if you don't know that you have to call the lead immediately. Immediately. Okay, so right. you got the lead. So then you would just set the appointment. Just set the appointment and go there. Right. Okay. No stats, no education on the market, no letting them feel like I was the area expert. I, I, so how did you change that? How did I change that? By, um, well, after I joined the team, then really learning how to dive into to market, the market analysis, learning days on the market. Learning, what do you mean by the market? Uh, learning days, understanding what days on the market has to do with whether how your offers are going to be presented, how to best position your buyer to get the offer accepted. So understanding the market in that manner will help you lead to that success. So, uh, I mean, are people, are buyers educated on the market? Like, why, why do you think that you, it was key in implementing that? Cause I think that most people may not have a market education process as a part of a buyer. Absolutely. I agree. Right. Yes. But because, but why do, why do you do that? Like, because what, like, I want to set myself apart from every other agent out there in the market and there's a boatload of them right so because people goal. use uh the news as their yes. source for the market people right. use the uh internet they use like any like uh basically and now because they can go online and unfortunately they're listening to non-experts talk about like like when you see CNN come out with a market report on real estate, right? Like, well, that's what I'd like to tell my buyers. Listen, you're not going to check the national weather when you're getting dressed in the morning to go out in Phoenix, right? So you want to have somebody who has local market knowledge to help you move forward in this house buying process. And if there's one thing in our process is 
that you do excellently, uh, probably the best on the team, is demonstrating local area expertise. And that's what we're trying to get yes. to is, so how can you be a local area expert for buyers, right? Because you're talking about the buyer process, but educating them on, so did you talk about market-wide stats? Meaning, because we're in a 75 miles by 75 miles, uh, you know, but then also the yes, local stats. Correct. So just so talk you about start the different wide and talk about the market, the valley as a whole, and Phoenix as an area, and then dive deeper into where we are in our marketplace. What's happening in Arrowhead Ranch, for example? Right. So what are the the main three themes that we're talking about? Right. I'm going to see. What do you think they are? That every conversation with buyers, when you're trying to educate them on the market, it's what? Wow. It's price. Yep, that's the last one. Uh, inventory. Supply. Supply. Um, demand. Demand. Demand, okay. right. Yeah, I know you know it. It's, it's like, you're like, duh, Jeff. You're like, right. No, you're like, <laughs> look at me. But what we try and help buyers with is understanding the market, which is uh, how, many, how many homes are for sale, how many homes are bought each month, and then what that effect has on prices. I mean, that's right. essentially what... Yes. Good deal. All right. So let's talk about because um, I why I'm excited to have you here is because your growth in listings in a neighborhood expertise was 10x, right? Because I believe the year before you came over to the team, you were doing about three or four deals in Arrowhead Ranch a year. Right. And now you're doing about 40 to 50 deals in and around area, your area, yes. right? So let's just talk about how, what was the change in your approach? Meaning 2014, 2015, 2016, as you were working through these things in, in meaning, because what Maslow covers in Conscious Incompetence is the stimulus to learn, right? And that was because you weren't able to compete on a listing level yes. with the people. So what were the things that you had to improve on, right? Like, cause you, you started to realize, okay, I just don't have enough, I should have more listings. Right. Like my kids went to school here, right? They were in the band, right? Like I knew a lot of people, but I wasn't getting a lot of listings. What What did you change in systematizing your business of the things that we offer? Um, hmm. You know, the one thing that comes to mind is someone who is my dear friend. And I went on a listing appointment in Arrowhead and I lost. Um, and she went with another. The client friend. was your friend. Yes. The client selling their home, moving, been friends with them for years. And I lost the listing. And that was that was the key point for me. Um, and that just sucks. It sucked. It was it was hard. And, okay. I went back and that's and why we call it fear of loss is not until you start. Yes. Right. Because what happens is agents get so caught up in how great they are working by referral only. And our methodology is a little different, right? And, and you know what? The fact that I wasn't on a team is what they told me in the end lost it for me because they had the confidence from the other agent that they had this team, they had this whole support system, they had a transaction coordinator, they had all of these things in place that was going to make this seamless. And I didn't have that at the time I was a lone agent. And that's frustrating. Yes. Right. I couldn't compete, right? What can you do? Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Okay. So let's just talk about, um, so then what became your goal from that? Like, what were you, like, what was your, um, you know, I mean, I, I think I know what it was, but did you have like, um, 
was your goal to try and get as many listing appointments as you could? Like you had, then you had to start marketing you because you, yes. you had to see. Um, right. I knew that there was still that gap existed. So I wanted more listings. I wanted to be known in my neighborhood. I had a huge presence from where I grew up and, and my contacts and my friends, but I didn't put it all together into a big marketing push. Right. But because you, I think if, if I remember right, you had done a couple of farm mailers, yes. right? Okay. Like started out with 200. Right. 200. I folded little papers, mailed them out, you know. Right. But, and then t- just talk about what you, how you, what you, what did you, you know, talk about the pieces of marketing that you went into? Yeah, so I started really slow because I needed to get my name out. I wanted to be in my neighborhood. So really 200 trifold letters, I mailed them out. Um, and I actually got the phone to ring. Nice. So I might not have gotten an appointment, but they called, they wanted to chat with me. So that helped give me some momentum. And so I went from 200 to 500 to a thousand. And um, now I do about 8,500. 8,500 mailings. Yes. How often? Uh, quarterly at the very minimum. Okay. So, cause we're going to talk about the pieces. So you, you started to increase your amount of marketing, but what, I mean, as far as mailers, but what other, what other kind of marketing did you oh, implement? I, I did buy leads. I increased my online presence, um, made it a point of getting um, online reviews, sharing those things um, and just being in, more involved in the community, being, getting out there. I mean, that was huge. But you also started a website. Yes. Right. Website. Correct. No, but I mean, I just think about the, because I think. The hub marketing. The hub marketing. Yeah. That's what I was kind of get to, because you really built the hub marketing uh, for the way that we intended all of the agents yes. to learn. Right. Because you created a website that was called Good Glendale Homes for Sale. I don't know if you still use yes, that today or not. Right. So the idea was, what was the, what, what, what was my, what I thought was the key for that area on that website? area and market knowledge. How did you demonstrate on that website? Because that, like, oh, we like, used you to know, go around we, and take videos and do little, you know. And the map at the time. And the map. Well, <laughs> no, but the reality is, is that it still, I think, helps in showing your individual local area expertise. Yes. Like it's not everything. You still have to be great when you show up. And that's why you right. win because you're great when you show up. But still, in just trying to, because you don't go from four listings to, you know, two years later, eight listings. And then, right, like you, right. you she at least went from four million oh, to in 2000. Uh, you tell me. I, I don't know. know. I think it was, you guys were calculating about maybe 2012 at the, I was close to four million. And then uh, maybe 2000, I don't know, 16, 17, approaching 20 million. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So let's just talk about more about the the um, the the pieces of it. Like, because how did you change your listing appointment? Uh, learned from the master, Jeff Seabach, I have to say. But um, it was it was a process. I mean, it is still a process, believe it or not. I you know. Well, it's ever changing. What people don't realize, changing. and that's yes. why I don't like people that are go to a coaching program like that talk about things one because, script two script like yeah. you said there's 200 scripts and you never know which one you're gonna have to pull out of your bag when you get there what's gonna be so how did you build them though um trial and error really exactly. learning, learning but you know failing sometimes i had a couple of failures this year that kind of knocked me aside and i still think about them and hopefully i'll improve upon it but those are the things that actually help you i think grow more yes because we were if i remember at the time one of the things that you did that i thought was spectacular that i didn't see much from others at the time is uh, one of the things i suggested was 
I don't you maybe you don't even remember. <laughs> was I was like, Elise, you gotta go see all of the active inventory. Yes. Right. But like, but not, but still something that, so let's just talk about that and how that helped. We went on a listing. That was a classic. We went on a listing appointment together in our head. I didn't want to lose it. And it was early on, maybe 2014, 15. And I asked you to come with us. And so the only thing I had to do, I mean, Jeff was the front man in that was to prove that I was the area expert. So I went around and previewed all the homes that were for sale or under contract in that area, knowing very well that the seller would ask me about those properties. Yes. And, and, and that's so underestimated. No, yes. but that was the key thing is because, I mean, I am. Always, and I spoke about those, even if I didn't see them, but I looked at them online. I spoke oh, about you it drilled as if them. I uh, that was, No, but yeah. that, that what people don't realize is they're looking for a neighborhood expert. Yes. How could you have not been in the eight past right. listings if you're an area expert? Yes. Because does the seller want an area expert? Absolutely. How, I mean, other than awards and stuff, what is the best way to demonstrate to them? Is talking about what was in the houses, yes. right? So that they could. Floor plans, design, all those details. Exactly. And it still helps to win today. Well, the thing is, is what you learn, especially if you target a farm, is if you have, let's say, because now you're in the, how many listing appointments you had last year? Oh, maybe Forty. Forty. Okay. That so that means you're having four months, roughly. Mm, okay. Right. So now, if you're looking at the new inventory and you do so, basically almost one every week. Right. But now, when you do that for five years in a row, now you've seen. Seen it all. Almost. Or most of it. Yes. Yes. Right. right. So you actually, it's why when you start working a farm. You have to work harder when you start because I don't know that you still have to work the same as hard as you used to hard. No, I don't necessarily have to go and preview all the homes for sale before I go into my listing appointment, but I have that knowledge from doing it. Well, now you have the experience, right. yes. so then you don't need to. The, the, and, the, and the point of for you guys on the audience is that knowledge is power. Yes. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. But you have to, and this is the, the change in the market, you have to have more knowledge about it than them yes okay because otherwise why are they going to hire you right and it's why when you talk about the market so you start out the appointment on the buyer side or even on the listing side when you start talking about the market and the market stats usually they don't know the details that you know right so now you get a leg up and now when you're in the listing appointment you're talking about Oh, there was cat piss in the back bedroom in that one. And that's why it didn't sell. And oh, that one flew off the market because at the time it had granite counter cops and stainless steel appliances <laughs> and they, they put in hardwood flooring or whatever it was. But those are the things that lead to the, the seller choosing you. I mean, clearly because you won Absolutely. and you won a lot. And the mo And even now, I mean, I just went on a listing appointment this morning. Using an example that just happened yesterday. Great, tell us about sale. it. All right. So, um, we were the they just bought the house last year for three hundred thousand, new home in a really old neighborhood, and of course they wanted to get top dollar. And so we were talking about pricing. Does strategies. anyone not no, want right. top dollar? Yeah. <laughs> and so we were talking about pricing strategies, and I said, listen, I just took a listing where I listed this house at five seventy five. A week and a half later, the guy around the corner lists a smaller home. Nicely updated for six eighty five, 
And, and so I, I had to go and tell my seller. I'm like, listen, I just want to let you know, this is what's out there. I still think he's crazy and it's way overpriced. And he's all, maybe we should have raised the price. But he's urgently needing to sell like in the next couple of weeks and get out of town. So um, I said, well, you know what? We'll approach it a little differently. So at the 575 price, people started to call me. Hey, do you have any action? And I said, you know what? We're getting a lot of activity on the house. I said, and one lady says, well, I know people list a house at a certain price, but want more than that price from our meeting. And I said to her, you know what? You're right. I said, my client, if you want him to take your offer and take it off the market, you better give us your highest and best price. We're now getting offers at 60 grand over. Wow. Yes. And I swear the list price was, was a very fair. You thought it was a modest price. Yes. But you started leveraging people. Yes. Started leveraging people. And now all of a sudden we have a. But it's only experience can help you get better. So now when I tell that story, that helps me on the next listing when we talk about pricing and strategies. Because I think part of the conscious incompetence stage and moving to the, the conscious competence stage is that, um, you know, the experience that you learn from losing than winning just helps catapult you into the next level. And sharing those losses with others who could help you. This is where it went wrong, or this is another strategy you should use and employ. Awesome. Good deal. All right. So now let's talk. Okay. So as you as you progressed right into 17, 18, and now just killing it, right? So you move out of conscious incompetent into conscious competence. Cause now you're not like, um, how much time are you preparing for a listing now? Very little sometimes. No, it but depends. you're using, but, the, but be, what it people depends. don't understand is that you don't have to practice more you don't have to practice have to outside practice. of the appointment. You don't have right. to, you don't have to like your buyer presentation, your listing presentation, your, I mean, when you get that experience, then your practice is in the appointments, yes. right? So you don't have as much time because you're, 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 you're getting better and you're getting better and you're adding arrows to your quiver, right? Exactly. And then you just right. need to continue to hone the, the, the knife, right? right? Like you yes. just need it. You just need to do it twice or three times, but I mean, it. I mean, do you still? If you haven't had a listing in three weeks, are you rusty? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we had it. I we, practice a lot in my head, and I go over some old, you know, strategies and just try to freshen it up. So, how much? At what point were you? Well, I'm going to call it comfortable. Like, how many appointments do you think you had to have? Was it? Was it fifty? in two years? Was it 60 in two years? Was it, was it over? Like, I mean, it's hard because the market changes and then the pitch changes. Right. Oh, I mean, I think, I think 50 is a fair number, 40, maybe even 40, 40 to 50, as long as it's consistent, several a month at the very least. Right. Keep you, your juices flowing. But I think that that talks about the best way to get out of conscious incompetence into conscious incompetence it's just more appointments. Yes. Right. And the only way you can do that is by working with people that you don't know. Yes. Right. Unless you're just, uh, I don't know, a debutante or something. Right. And you have a, a, a sphere of like, a, I mean, I'm trying to think of um, like, I don't know. I mean, you, you have to have something special. Right. Right. I mean, and sometimes you're with your sphere and you still have to give a good pitch. You know, 
I, I, I even think even your your closest friends. But I mean, you did things like trying to move out of your neighborhood and trying to go into a higher price. So that was yes. a different challenge for you because there's always because uh, I think the hardest thing for people to do is two things. One, get their business up to how many how many sales do you have last year? Sixty five. OK, right. Because that's clearly top. I mean, you're in the top 1% of agents in, in Arizona, right? 65 okay. is, is a shit ton, right? Compared to the average agent sells four houses a year. You sell 12 times, pretty spectacular way to go at least fade. But now I lost my point. The- um, Oh, the number of appointments required for, for feeling comfortable. I mean, at what point? I was saying three to four uh, a month. A month, yeah. No, but, but just, it's hard to- um has did goals play a part of it like what was the driving force for you to to set more appointments um to realize like okay i'm not going to be able to continue to do what i used to do i need to do more okay i'm going to join a team but then still when you're on a team because we have people that go on a team and fail still yes right so what was i don't it? know what my demons are right. i'm pretty competitive with myself i really am and i just if i do 50 this year it's just I mean, that's just my, my makeup. I want to, if I'm going to keep doing something, I want to get better at it. I mean, I don't want to do any less and staying the same would be okay. It, it would almost be a failure to me if I did 50 this year and 50 next year. You know, I would think there's something missing again. Why can't I get to 65? Why well, can't I get to a hundred? Well, because, well, but because I think there's levels to it. I, and you tell me if it's true, because it, it has happened with your business. Cause you went from you were doing 3 million and then you went to 10 million, 12 million, and then you right. kind of repeated that. Yeah. And then you went, then you, then all of a sudden you're doing 20 million, do 20 million, two right. years or three years in a row. Yeah. And now you're 30 million. Like it's just because you're implementing the processes. Let's just talk yes. about the, that it's a, it's a routine. It is, it is a set routine of what I do when I, you're saying every time I go meet with a buyer or seller, you have, yes, a, you example, know what your routine is. Go ahead. Yes, I do. For example, I, the listing I just took that I was just example, gave an example for, um, I met him at my open house that was way down the block and he came by, we chatted. That's how you met him. That's how I met this guy. And I you dropped converted off, an open house. Lead. Yes. I okay. dropped off the buyer booklet. That was our process. You meet somebody, try to get their information, dropped off a buyer booklet, left it at their house. Like oh, because he was looking for a house to he buy. Was, I didn't know. He was a seller. Well, but because that's but he came the, in checking out the neighborhood sales, right? Who's the agent list in this house? Does she know what she's talking about? And, and you dropped off a buyer I dropped booklet. off a buyer booklet and a year later he called me. A year it later. It was a long time, yes. Almost well, a year. I mean, because but it still plays in the idea of and he had an agent who had sold him that house and he didn't like her. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but you continue to follow up. But the it's hard because I think that people when they start delivering CMAs, because that are buyer yes. booklets, when you most importantly delivering a packet to their house after you met them. Yes. Like if anything, that is the core of that is key. Right. Yes. Always leaving a leave behind, whether right. it's a, like that's what the CMA does, that's what yes. the buyer booklet does, because then that shows. I don't know. I mean, it's nice. It's pretty, right? They're not going to be so quick to throw it out. Well, it's also big. It's bulky. Yes. It, it shows that you put a lot of time and energy, yep. but it also, I believe it makes you memorable because people love that you're serious, right? right. You talked take about your first appointment. Serious, yes. Yeah. You take it serious. Yeah. Um, awesome. 
I don't know anything you have to add. Well, no, we're. I mean, we're just we're, cruising along. We're cruising along in conscious competence, and you know, where do you go from there? Well, I mean, now that you have a process for listings, let's finish with your listing process. So, okay. you, so you meet the guy for a buyer, pro, but you give him a buyer book. A year later, he calls you back. I, I was going to put a comment in there about the that people when they drop off the CMA after an open house or yep. a buyer booklet are frustrated that they, they don't call right away. Right. But realizing that people are still, it takes them three years, like when they begin, I want to move process. Right. That, and you don't know when they walk in where they're at no. in that process. And they're never going to be honest about it. They're so, not, right. Yeah, right. People don't tell you that they're, yes. right. So, okay, so then you do the buyer book. He calls you. What's the process from there? Um, he he actually called. When did he call? Um, it was like two or three weeks ago. Okay, yeah. He called and he didn't leave a message. And it was a number from Hawaii. So you know how much spam phone calls and yeah, you were like, we that, get? Yeah. And I was just driving along and I was like, oh, let me just call this guy back. And I called him back and he told me his name and he told me where he lived and you sold the house on this street, you know, last year. And I was really having trouble remembering. All right, so wait a minute. Cause I don't think a lot of people do that. So you had a missed call, but and then I, you called. I called him back said, sorry, I got a missed call from you. That's it. Yeah. And I said, you know, my name is Elise Faye. Can I help you? And he said, yeah. And we had a little conversation. And as soon as I went to his front and I dropped off a packet again, not again. realizing that I had done that a year ago. Cause I didn't know that was him. Now, did I you personally it. drop it off? Yes. Okay. Cause, cause if it's farther away, we mail yes. it. If it's close, I like to drop it off to show your local area yes, expert. Knock on the door. So you go and you drop off a CMA one. Yeah. Like the CMA one. The what I call one. the yes. the pre-listing package. Because I didn't realize I sent it the first time because <laughs> I I couldn't know who the heck he was. I was like, okay, so follow the process. Dropped it off. As soon as he came out to the front door, I was like, damn. I really he came to the door when you dropped off the CMA. No, wait, I'm sorry. She did. The dogs were barking. She came in. I said, I'm just going to leave this to you. And I walked back and I looked at the house and I said, you know, it's really familiar. I set the appointment and I see him outside. I'm like, damn, I remember. He's like, you do remember me? I said, yes. And it was like old time thing. Awesome. So, but I still stuck to the process of dropping off the path. Right. But I think that those things help you win, right? Like when you do a, like just showing consistency because you're yeah. demonstrate, like it's, it's one thing to tell someone you're consistent, but it's different to drop right. off a packet. Then like, like we're, we're just, and to know and your process thorough. really well and very thorough is also key at the listing appointment because people are inundated with all kinds of stuff online, quick, easy. What is your you process? Share your, I mean, I record the, the listing appointment. Okay. What else do you do? Like, do you, do, are you a sit first or you walk through first? Um, I'm a walkthrough first. I don't say really. Yeah, I we switched a few times, but I still feel better. I walk through the house, take the notes on the house, all the details, and then we sit down. I'm also a walkthrough first. Oh, you are. Oh, okay. yeah. No, I okay. am. No, I mean, if the seller is adamant about sitting down, then obviously. We'll I mean, sit. the more um, the 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 less I know about someone, the more likely I would like. To, I usually now just hey, is there anything that you want to, just to make sure that I cover everything that they want to cover, right? But uh, you can- No, for me, the walkthrough makes, breaks the ice and, and just makes it a little more impersonal. How long is that walkthrough for you? I mean, as long as it takes to walk through the house, not too long, but 20 minutes. 20 maybe. minutes, yeah. okay. That's a long time. Is it? That is maybe a super shorter. long. I mean, I remember with Russell, he was like trying to be do the walkthrough take three minutes or less. Oh my gosh, I don't think he can so walk you, that you, fast. But you're, so you do a walkthrough <laughs> like I do with the people. Yes. And then do you talk to them about the upgrades in your house during a walkthrough? Um, 
Not so much today's market, but yes, we you kind of zip through it. But I mean, because we use that as a CBOC team is build it. You still need that detail to build out the because you're going to need it at some point, right? At some point, right? And it helps to solidify the relationship and your expertise. Okay. Um. Yeah, and then we sit down and talk about the market. I really like to ask them, make sure that I've covered any questions they have. So I hope that they. I prefer in a listing appointment when the seller grills me with questions. I like that. I want him to sit there and fire off all the questions instead of me just rambling. Yeah, because it's it well, no, but it's harder. Yeah, I think it's harder when they sit there and like, okay, no, you talk. Right. Right. Like, I mean, they don't say you talk, but no. they don't. It's one word answers, yes. right? Like, it's so harder. You're not really able to read them and see if you're getting to the points that they really are thinking right. about. You know. And that's the reason why we do the walkthrough is to soften them up yes. a little bit, right? Yes. To, to get to, you chatty. To get them chatty, right? So right. that you can at least learn something. So you can know what they're because I mean, what is the ultimate goal in talking to them? What do you what do you what are you trying to figure out? I'm trying to figure out what their motivation is. Um, if they're interviewing other agents, you know, try to try to get that out if I don't directly ask. Um, but I'm trying to get them to feel comfortable. How how hard do you try to to figure out what they think their value of their home is? You know what? Lately, I've been asking. I think I try to be more direct. I'm just asking. I'm like, listen, it's obvious that we have access to all kinds of information. Buyers are not left in the sellers aren't left in the dark anymore. Neither are buyers. So let me ask you, what do you think the value is of your home? And what percentage? I mean, most times I'll get people to tell me depends on the price of the home. Really? Yes. Oh, man, as a guy, they never want to tell me. Oh, but there's been times when they're like, well, you're the expert. You tell us. Yeah, that's what I get. I get your. Well, well, you're a little higher end market than me. So, you know. Fair. No, that's good. I think that's something to do with it. Uh, Well, maybe. Well, that's very nice of you. Um, But I clearly I, I think that leveraging. I mean, do you feed them like, okay, have you been out to Zillow? Like, is that, what yes, you, is right? that the way you go? Yes. Is that- I mention it, especially if they do. And I always, I, I always bracket those, you know, like the Zillow, the Redfin estimate, the realtor.com, just try to throw those numbers out there. Do you throw them a number? Like Zillow thought your house was worth 435? Yeah, if they quote Zillow and tell me, oh, I, you know, Zillow said my house is worth 700,000. And I'm like, well, this is what happened to Zillow. I mean, so <laughs> use that as a... Well, okay, well, we don't want to take well that that's a newer price. thing, yes, right? right? Well, because one of the things that uh, we haven't really talked about on a podcast was when Zillow stopped the eye buying business, I feel like that is the end of price per square foot as we know it today. Because yes, they proved with a loss of 400 million in a quarter that price per square foot wasn't the best way to price homes because they actually paid in our marketplace 30 thousand dollars more than the house sold on the market yeah so crazy. how can we as agents still continue to push and that's what you're right alluding. so that's what i i allude to if I how did they to. how did they take it well you- i did use that recently and they they were like wow yeah you're right like they it, it gave them reason to pause and say hey maybe zillow's price isn't the way we want to go right good deal because uh, we use price home sell in the neighborhood and, and yes that, okay good deal Wow. Okay. So then more about the seller process. So then what? Um, So then after that, I send them an email with all the notes from our conversation, from our sit down. Um, And we also talk about the different levels of pricing, Um, you know, it's kind of to make them. Are you a one price gal or are you a three price gal? No, I give the three price, um, but the goal there is to get them to say the price that you want. 
Agreed. Right. Right. Yeah, no, well, I mean, that's a CBOC team yes. thing is, is you give them the range because it's the I mean, it's the possible range. Yes. Right. But at least then you give them something for price to get them to say, well, we thought this. Right. Because yeah. the, the key, though, is how hard. I mean, when did you start to adopt range range pricing? Oh, it was hard to implement. It was hard. It's super, it, it, no, yes. but that, I mean, that doesn't talk about no, every, unconscious or unconscious, yes, incompetent, competent. Absolutely. Like, those are the pieces of the. And it seems such a little piece. Like, how hard would it be? But it really, it's a struggle when you see oh, them. Hey, a little piece. Like, I, I mean, it took me a year and a half myself to even think about, like, I, 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 I was here, way. right? Like, I was going, I was a mastermind group in Mesa. And when it was said the first time, I didn't, I didn't even, I, I was like that you're an idiot. Right. Like I just tell people the price and, yeah. and, and like, I didn't even think that there was a different way to price homes and same for you. Right. Like when we and brought, just think that you could lose, you give one price, you could lose because you give 500. Some other guy gives 525. You're out. You're you out. give the range. Now you have a lot more cushion. Right. right. So how do you, how do you judge your range? I usually do um, probably a 10%, no less than 10%, maybe 5% difference in each of the price points. So maybe it would be like, 575 like to What was 600. the one today, roughly? Uh, today, there wasn't much. I think we did 400 range as uh, top. Uh, middle, I think we hit the uh, 380. And then below that was like probably 350. Yeah. And for those that are listening at home, I mean, to me, I usually take the sales of the last six months or year, as long as I have about 12 sales okay. to, to generally give the high and the low, which then at least when we, sure. cause we do show them the comps over a computer yes. live. Yes. yes. Okay. Cause I think that that's a huge piece of it as well, but then you can actually show them. This was the, did you show them yes, today? This, this was, was the highest sale like how many square feet was it roughly? This is great. Oh, this is uh, 2,000 square feet today. So the other comps were probably about 18, 19. Great. So what usually it's 10 or 10 or 20 percent below or 10 or 20 percent above square footage size. Like right. so, it's 2,000. You'd look up to maybe 2,400. Yeah. And then as low as 1,800 on, yes, the bottom, on the bottom. Right. So then you show that range because that. And then how much do you factor bedrooms and bathrooms into that model? Are you like if it's only two bedrooms, I only use two bedroom comps are you using two and a half bedrooms to show the range I'm just i mean i to... think two bedrooms is a, is a tough nut to compare to any of the others two but bedrooms it, you can only use two bedrooms because it's a, yes, it's, it's a it's limited a dead, audience limited, yeah. right but three bedrooms to four bedrooms uh, i don't i don't give that what about bathrooms range. like what if one has a two and a half bath and one has four baths? yeah no that's huge difference but do yes. you but you still in the range portion you show that but then you point yes, that out you can point that out. right okay so they got more because I mean, well, that, the upgrades. I mean, then you're digging into all the other. Right. And that, that is a process that, that you do that I believe as well as I think that that really I call it educating the seller on why you think what you want, but also to you're really trying to change their opinion. Yes. And right. you want you bringing the horse to the water, and you're hoping he drinks it. Exactly. Right? I mean, that yes. you're trying to do all that you can, right, to get him to see it your way. Right. So we'll take the the low of the range and the high. Would you take when you if you have enough? Like, did that one have a pool? No. Okay. So then you you didn't worry about pool. You just said comps. Yeah, it was okay. kind of an odd neighborhood, but yeah. 
good deal. But you'll take the whatever the highest sale in the last year was and put that as the high end of the range. Or now even because I'm even if if that house has that sale is more than four months ago, I might even be adding ten percent to yes, that, right? Yes, like because yeah. that because exactly. it's hard to price right. houses in today's. But this house market. was built in 2021. The other ones were in the 90s. How, okay, you know, Miss, so Miss, Miss Expert, how yeah. do you delineate that? Um, how do you explain that to them? Uh, I mean, we're, it's, a, it's a brand new custom, beautiful home in a neighborhood that's really old. Like That doesn't happen a lot in my neighborhood. That's, no, so it tell doesn't. me about that. I mean, like, this was in Tolson. Wow. So, yeah. Okay, so how many people live in Tolson? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Roughly 10,000, 10, 20,000, 30,000. Well, I don't know. Let's say 10,000. 10 or 20,000. Okay. Yeah. So a smaller town. Yes, just in is. general, right? Because um, so a smaller town. So that so enabled us. It was, it was a half built subdivision that had vacant lots no, in it. Some of the homes in here were built in the 50s. So, I mean, it was a really old neighborhood. And then empty lots and builder came in and built a house here. And some people are knocking some down. So it ran the gamut. It okay. Was, it was, but I mean, it, it's it, on first appearance, it was kind of rough. Only because I, I like to, to talk about all concepts whenever we're talking about any concept and it's hard, makes it hard to follow, but the reality, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would be more successful if I would just stick to a freaking That's point. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I can't do it. Learn to follow the circle. <laughs> no, but in neighborhoods where they're built in the 50s, 60s or 70s, they're ripping them down where yes. they don't rip down a house that's built in the nineties no, or two thousands. Right. right. So, because it's so You're bad able to that, give it that bump, it's, only so much, right? Okay, so you're in that type of neighborhood. So when you're pulling comps, are you only pulling comps that were built? No, I really? pulled them all. Wow. I, I didn't pull anything from the 50s, but I pulled, because there was so limited inventory, very few sales, I had to, you know, I couldn't be that restrictive. Right. Because I wouldn't have had anything to Wow, crazy, yeah. And at the end, you know, she told us what she wanted, and I said, we can make it work, <laughs> so... Did she go with the the high end price, the middle price, or the oh, lower price? The high. Well, and the point for those that were been listening, the range pricing, what it does is because usually they, for me, I don't know about you, is usually they think it's the high price, and usually I think it's somewhere between the low and the medium price. But I mean, oh. it depends on the condition of their house. Yes, right. I mean, I always throw out the low in today's market. We don't even really entertain that. Well, now we don't have to, but when we get to tougher markets, the low used to be my price. Yeah. And that, that I, well, and the, for those that are wondering how valuable it is to give people prices in writing after the uh, list of appointments. It's huge, huge. I tell that to all my, Mentees. my new agents. Yeah, yes. new, well, I mean, the thing is, is, and Adam, our listing manager, oh, right? Yes. He'll like, kill if you don't. Do I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, no, but but I mean, if you think about how not in today's market, it's just hard because usually it sells right away and it sells for higher than right. we think. And like, but the reality is, is um, what we told them, we told them that was the range. So we were being honest with them. So right? they can't say, "Well, you said," and you're gonna be like, "No, I didn't say right. that." Right? Because the problem with one price is they say you said this price, right? And that you because. I'm still shocked at how many agents still have a lot of cancellations. Yes. Right. Like even into market, it's funny that um, I kind of think it proves their worth, whether they have lots of cancellations or not, because how could you have lots of cancellations in this marketplace in this unless you're misleading people on price? Right. Right. 
So, well, so that's why just almost maybe to wrap it up is that all of these good practices that maybe are not as important in today's market, it's, I feel it's still important to employ, to use all of the, the, to still go through the process, to still do all the things that you've were even more important four or five years ago. Well, uh, let me ask you then. So how long do you think we're going to be in this hot market? Um, I think another 12 to 18 months. Wow. I think it's going to, I don't think it's going to be, um, the appreciation is going to be as rampant as it was this past year. But it's well, it's be hard there. to believe that the market, I mean, we, we have a market. Sustain. Can we keep sustaining 15, 20% appreciation? I mean, I guess, I mean, I think it's, if they keep printing money, I guess you can. I don't, yeah. I, I don't. If interest rates stay low. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Fair. I mean, I I even think it's longer. I don't I think it's longer. Well, I won't venture to say longer. I mean, okay, that's, that's fair. No, I am. I mean, I wrote the super cycle, so I'm not scared to think that's gonna. But I I actually think we could be another five years. We have a supply problem. I mean, yeah. we do in Arizona. Carlos, do you have a supply problem? Of course. What's your well, how much supply you have in Texas? In Corpus uh, Christi. Last I checked was 1,182 uh, residential listings. Yeah, Carlos. <laughs> I love that you had this specific number. Okay, so how many houses do you sell a month? Me? No, the market. Like, uh, is a thousand a lot for on the market? Or I mean, do you sell a thousand a month? No, we're at about 1.7 months worth of inventory. Wow. Right. Wow. So then, I mean, because our market got gets balanced around five months of supply starts to balance out. Um, how long do you think we're going to have supply lower than three months? Me? Yeah. For the next three to four years. Yeah. Wow. Right. Are you seeing lots of building there? Yeah, it's starting to ramp up now that uh, now that the wood prices came down. Right. Uh, so I'm seeing. Um, last, last, um, there's probably about four subdivisions here, two, two in the upper, two in the upper 600s that are probably have about seven or eight houses going up and three in the 250 to 290 that have approximate, there's probably about 45 houses going up. Wow. So we're. That's not a lot. Yeah, that's that's a hot price point. The fact that they're even building anything in that. Yeah. Although I did see, because there was an article today talking about the percentage population by state. Mm -hmm. And Texas was on that because Arizona's on that. The Sunbelt people are going to see more low supply. That I I mean, let's count Boise because it's trendy. Well, because Boise was the number one. Uh, growth by percentage population. We were the number one by total amount of population growth. Arizona okay. was, but Boy- Boise because it's two point nine percent. They have all have, those North. They have a million. No, they only have a million people. So yeah. when you oh, so percentage yeah. wise. So. But uh, all right, well, we'll wrap it up with there. Unless anyone has any questions, Carlos, Keith, Karina. Hey, Keith. All I want to know is where's Phil? Where's Phil? Awesome. So we're trying a new thing here. We're trying to get, for one, 
I mean, there's more women in real estate. Like, like really, like two guys on a podcast was the dumbest idea. Listen, let me just say that I was think I watched to listen to a Darren Hardy, um, his top five videos, and he told a story about jobs and how he went, you know, talked to Wozniak and during the Atari days. And the one thing he said, which is now going on my whiteboard, uh, and he had a propensity for telling this to people when he wanted something done expeditiously, and it was, "Don't be afraid, you can do it." And he yeah. just said that. And that was his little thing. And so I'm now going to keep that awesome. handy. All right. We'll end it with that. Great job, Elise. Thank you all.